0: Welcome everybody. This is Natalie. This is Elizabeth. And we're your hosts of Wisterhood, a podcast by Women in Science Portland. We created Wisterhood to be our community of support for women in science and their allies. And today we have a special guest, the one and only Sarah Foster. Sarah will be helping us discuss how to get girls excited about STEM and more specifically, how to get school-age girls excited about STEM.
1: So my name is Sarah Foster. Thank you for having me on your podcast today. I'm really excited to be here. Um, My background, a little bit about me, I um, am an East Coast native um, and I went to school to study chemical and biomedical engineering. I went to Bucknell University in Pennsylvania for my undergraduate degree in chemical engineering. And then I went up to Boston University for my master's in biomedical engineering. And I focused on um, in-situ polymerization for drug delivery. Um, specifically my master's was on um, vascular endothelial growth factor. Um, and then I, after I finished that, I um, worked for Genzyme, which is now Genzyme Sanofi in their biomaterials department. Um, I was a research and development engineer um, again, working on in two polymer um, for uh, various adhesion prevention, um, drug delivery models in that group. Um, in 2011, my husband and I moved out to Portland for his job. And um, I like to say I took on my uh, Biggest experiment to date, I became a mom. <laughs> and, um, you know, any of you moms know that there's no um, scientific method or protocol for raising children. So I have two boys. Um, they are now 11 and nine. And um, I took some time off of the kind of traditional engineering work um, to be home with them. And as they got into elementary school, I, you know, started to think about kind of that what's next in my own career. And I was doing some volunteer work in their elementary school classrooms, um, doing different STEM activities with the kids. And I was noticing that when I would visit the kindergarten to like second grade classrooms, the girls were jumping in at the same rate and same enthusiasm as the boys. They'd raise their hands, they'd wanna do the projects. But when I'd visit the like, fourth and fifth grade um, classrooms, the girls were more reserved already. Um, you know, They weren't jumping in as quickly and it was kind of you know surprising, I guess it shouldn't have been, but it was surprising to see that gender gap happening so early. And I started looking into programs that I could maybe get involved in to work with elementary school girls in STEM. And that's where this idea of STEM like a girl kind of came about. Um, So in 2017, I founded the nonprofit organization, Stem Like a Girl, and we do parent-daughter workshops for third to fifth grade girls. So they're mostly in the eight to 12-year-old range. And um, we do lots of hands-on STEM activities with them. And um, what's really fun is they work with their parent or other adult caregiver at our workshops so that both um, the parent and the girl can Um, you know, get excited and learn together and work together as a team and really kind of build the confidence in STEM as as a group. Um, So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Wow. Thank
2: you. You're very amazing. (laughs) Um, Are you now full-time dedicated to STEM Like a Girl or is it more of a side project?
1: Um, so I would say, you know, it's, I probably put about part-time work into it. So I still am very much um, around when my kids are home, you know, they're still young in elementary school at this point. So I, it's, it's a great opportunity for me to, you know, use my background um, to, you know, further help other girls, but also, um, you know, spend time with my family.
2: And what does that part-time look like?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it looks different every day. Um, You know, during COVID and having kids home with me was, you know, definitely trickier. Um, I should say I also, over the COVID, um, was asked to write a book um, that's also entitled um, Stem Like a Girl that just came out in September of 2021. No, no. Yeah, 2021. Um, and so, you know, yeah, my days are never the same. Um, you know, when they're in school, it's great. I can work, you know, during the day. And then I really try to save my afternoons and evenings to be home and present doing stuff with them. Um, but, you know, life is messy and fun and unpredictable. And um, I, you know, I, I, I love that I can um, have that flexibility with what I do. Um, it's always... Um so reassuring
0: <laughs> to hear about how how quickly things can change and how all the different facets of your life can come together in a way that makes sense for you even if it might feel disjoint to begin with um and so to like maybe start backwards so now um sort of in this part-time um non done like a girl girl role as well as sort of just in like your daily living a mom life and person life role. Um, what, um, what is your like sort of daily basis? Yeah. What do you feel like are the best and the worst parts of what you do?
1: Yeah. I mean, the best parts of my job are when we have our workshops and we get to see the girls faces. Um, you know, if you've worked with or had, you know, young girls in this like eight to 12 year old range, it's such a fun age because they're old enough that we can do some pretty cool projects with them, but they haven't quite reached that like, I'm too cool for you middle school attitude. So they're so expressive when, you know, when something in our workshop and they get get it to work out um, the project that they're working on, they will, you know, high five you and jump up and down and just seeing their excitement is definitely the best part of my job. It makes all of the, you know, backend planning stuff worth it. Um, and yeah, I just I just love when we actually get to have our workshops, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis. So I am the president and the founder. Um, so I'm, and I'm very much, um, involved in the hands-on day-to-day work. Um, Our board and all of us are 100% volunteer based. So, um, you know, we're really in it because we're passionate about this. So, um, you know, my day can be playing around with new activities. So, you know, making slime or, um, you know, I was extracting DNA from a strawberry and, you know, things like that. So, you know, a lot of just fun playing around um, with uh, with the different projects that we'll do with the girls. Um, You know, I can um, try talking with um, local community um, organizations and um, industry people to, you know, recruit volunteers. So you know, no one day is ever the same. Um, You know, I think the hardest part is just finding the time to do everything. Um, You know, I have big, big goals and big dreams of what I would like to do, and just you know, recognizing that I can't take on everything at once, um, and you know, knowing when to say no, we need to slow down, or yes, you know, we need to kick our butts into gear, and you know, get this to to work. So um, I think that would be the hardest is just, you know, finding the resources, which is mostly a time resource issue of, um, you know, being able to do all the stuff that I want to do.
0: (laughs) WIS is also uh, an all volunteer sort of run organization. And I was just wondering if you could just talk a little bit about like, what are, I think there's, there might be some really positive experiences and like, you know, um, things that come out of like an all volunteer run nonprofit women. And, and do you feel like there's like, what are the unique aspects of that? And like, are there any challenges associated with it? Or do you find that in general, like everybody's on like the same train of knowledge as we like
1: <laughs> to say, um, I, I, I love that we are all volunteers. I think, um, it just shows how passionate women are, Towards you know these kind of things um, and want to get involved. Um, I love meeting all the different women you know we and men have volunteers too, but primarily we have women volunteers. Um, and it's you know it's been fun to just get to know them. Um, I think you know that also can kind of hinder our growth in some ways because you know volunteers are volunteers and they've got lives and jobs and other stuff. Um, and, you know, things come up. So, you know, there's that kind of, you know, how much time can you ask a volunteer to put towards something? Um, And I'm sure you guys see this too, where people, you know, they want to get involved and they're so gung-ho and they, you know, sign up to do all the things and then life happens. And when you're a volunteer, you know, you, that's what gets cut out of your life, unfortunately, you know, like, we have to go to work and we have to, you know, make money and we have to be with our families when they're sick. Um, So, you know, I think that's kind of the hardest part of juggling, like how much work can we give a volunteer? Can we actually expect a volunteer to do, Um, you know, we're looking at hopefully growing our organization and it's like, you know, can we expect a volunteer to put on a workshop as a volunteer? Um, So, you know, I can see in the future, you know we might need some sort of like, you know paid program manager to kind of, you know, facilitate that growth. But right now it's, I, I really kind of love that, you know, everybody is in it for, you know, the pure joy and desire to work with, you know, girls in STEM.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think like we talk um, a bit on the podcast about also just like how nonprofit work in general is like because it's inherently altruistic and it's inherently like for the greater good um, the impulse can be to give more than you can and so I know you mentioned like gotta learn sometimes to be like gotta put the brakes on so that I can be a human being um,
1: <laughs> are there particular examples you can think of um, you know I think the biggest challenge for me is you know my personality and being trained as an engineer like i'm very um analytical i'm very technical like i i I joke that like engineers make the best event planners because i will think through like every scenario every variable that could go wrong and how to fix it and where to have the backup plan and stuff and you know part of that is with the volunteers is if um, you know, okay, if this person doesn't show up, or if this happens, you know, who's the backup? And we really had to think about that with like COVID, as we started to get back into in-person events. Like, okay, what if I get sick? Like, I'm the one leading the workshops, and so you know, what's kind of that back back um, backup plan? Um, so you know, I think I think we've you know, because of just my nature, I've created a lot of safeguards for it. Um, but but it's definitely a challenge.
2: Um, I was wondering if we could backtrack a little bit and you can talk about like your most successful workshop versus your least successful workshop.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so I would put a tie, can I tie to most successfuls? Most successful would be a tie between actually our very first workshop and the workshop we just had um, last month in May. So the very first one, um, just because I had no idea if people would actually come to something like this. Like I I had this idea um, in my head, I never really intended to start a nonprofit. I just kind of wanted to like put on these workshops for girls and their parents or other caregiver and you know, as I started thinking about it and just all the technical legalities of it, you know, that kind of became a nonprofit. Okay, so we'll become this nonprofit. Okay, now I need a board. Now I need, and then it's like, oh, wait, I actually need people to come. Like, our parents and their daughters actually going to come to something like this? So, our first workshop, we actually um, filled it up and we had 40 girls and their adult caregiver come. And, um, you know, it just seeing them come into the room just made me feel like, okay, this is all worth it. Like, I can't believe that, you know, I put something like this together and people actually wanted to come, (laughs) Um, you know, I'm a mom myself, so I know like how nice it is to just like drop your kids off for a few hours and have some free time. And so for the parents to come up to me afterwards and say like, that was really special. I enjoyed that like kind of uninterrupted bonding time with my daughter. Um, or, you know, I had one mom that was like, I am not a STEM person. She, you know, didn't know what to do, but her daughter was really into it. And she was like, that was so much fun. And they, they came to like multiple workshops. Her daughter actually like, they sent me a video afterwards of like her daughter raiding her mom's craft basket. And she had like built a zip line from the chandelier they're living, like it was just, yeah. So and then I would say the other tie for my favorite was the one we just had. So again, we decided to um, take a chance and um, have a workshop out in Washington County. Um, so all of our other workshops have been more like downtown Portland, um, East Side, West Side kind of thing, but um, we really wanted to try to target some of the you know communities out you know and more western um, than Portland. And so again, it was like and it was post-COVID, so we hadn't really been, you know, marketing or advertising and stuff in the same way, and it was just like, our family's going to want to come, um, and, you know, it, it worked out so well. We had 30 new girls to our program, um, and so, you know, those kind of things, I find I'm very risk-averse, but when I take the risk, you know, it, it that's where I feel like, you know, you get the best reward from it, so, um I would say that those two were my my favorite workshops. Um, my least favorite would uh, be a tie for kind of all of our virtual workshops. <laughs> um and you know, it's not that anything was wrong, but you know, it, it's just it's such a different feel. I'm so glad that we had the platform and the ability to transition our workshops to a virtual format and make those adjustments and figure out how to get supplies to the girls. Um and things like that. But you know, it's just not the same when you're, you know, sitting here staring at little boxes and everybody's muted and you're like, are you having fun? Like, I can't tell.
2: <laughs> virtual is not as fun. Um, it's it's okay. Like I had to do a virtual workshop with parents and we had to make play-doh. Here's a lesson. Make the play-doh, or at least test out the play-doh before you do it on camera. Because my play-doh did not turn out. And it just looked like a big old mess, and I did not want to show it to the parents.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but that uh, you know you can use that as a teaching, you know that like science doesn't always go as we expect it to, and how how can we learn from that, right? <laughs>
2: um, so I have another question. How diverse are your group of girls?
1: Um, you know, so that's something that we as a board are really kind of putting in some resources to um, we, you know, unfortunately, kind of pre right pre COVID, we had gotten to the point where we felt we had you know established our program um, that it was working. We had everything kind of flowing, and so then we were shifting more towards like a strategic plan of both growth and increasing diversity. And you know, then COVID hit, and all of those plans got put on hold. Um, so we're back to you know, um, really you know working on that now. Um, we have a dedicated outreach coordinator. Um, and, you know, I, so the, this last workshop that we had was probably our most diverse um, of the people that responded to the questionnaire of, um, you know, either their ethnicity or their race. Um, we had about um, 40% of the uh, families say that they identified as non white, um, and then the other 60% um, were, were white. Um, one of the things I think is interesting is that we get about 50-50 of um, participants whose parents have a STEM background of some sort or, um, versus who don't. And you know, it's, it's always interesting to see kind of what attracts them to our program. So you know, we're really, we are really working on ways um, that we can bring our program to you know, a more diverse group of girls. So if you have any ideas of how to do that, you know, we're all ears for that one. (laughs) It seems like
0: in the workshops, the, um, that it's like very much a team, um, like collaborative exercise. And on top of that, like a family, either like chosen or like blood relative family type beat. (laughs) Um, And I think that that's um, so important because we rarely talk about how much, like how important families are to. Um, really making sure that, that, you know, a STEM journey stays like a journey and not really just like a blip. Um, Cause yeah. I, yeah, like we talk a lot about things like the leaky pipeline, but like women don't exist in vacuums and that's like really the problem.
1: <laughs> and I think especially, you know, with girls that are, you know, eight to 12 years old, so much of what they're interested in is what their parents kind of want them to be interested in or, you know, the parents are the ones signing them up for the camps and the different programs that they're doing. And um, so, you know, that's why I think it's important um, to have that, you know, parental or care, you know, adult um, aspect to our program, because, you know, we want the parents to see that, like, wow, my daughter's really into this. Um, I want to keep doing these kind of things at home and give them the tools. So like most of the projects that we do at our workshops, you know, involve materials that you would have at home anyway. So lots of like craft sticks and straws and tape, lots of tape um and so you know we want to show the parents that like you don't need to be buying these expensive kits or you know have a this extensive background in stem to be able to do these projects with their with their daughters so the goal is to kind of get them in and excite them and then hope that they kind of continue on their stem journey with their daughters
0: yeah obviously like in the title is like stem like a girl and so i'm wondering like what is the role of boys and non-binary kids sort of do you see like in the organization at if at all or like how do where do they exist in this picture
1: yeah i mean obviously the yeah the the title of our organization is stem like a girl and you know our mission is to promote and encourage girls in stem, but that does, you know we do include you know um, non binary, Um, you know I think the fact that we're working with such a young age group there aren't as many kids at that age who have you know who identify in that way. Um, but, you know, we, we do, we're very inclusive, um, our virtual workshops, we had a lot of brothers joining us um, alongside their sisters, which was really fun um, to see. And, you know, we actually got one comment, which I thought was interesting. That was like, my son felt a little left out during your workshop because everything was focused on talking about girls and getting girls excited and stuff. And at first I kind of was like, oh, I I felt bad that he felt left out. But then I was like, you know what? Girls feel left out of STEM and science so many times. Like so many times girls are the minority in the classes or in the camps or, you know, whatever it is. And so, you know, that's a good learning tool for that boy to see like, okay, this is what it's like for, you know, for girls in this situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that question was not meant to be like pointy at all. Oh, no. (laughs) But
0: just like, yeah, I think because we, it's like, it's on one hand, right? It's like, we want to like create safe spaces for girls in STEM because God knows STEM isn't one. (laughs) So um, we have to sort of imagine them for ourselves. Um, And then also like, and it doesn't have to always like be everybody's job to do this, to do all of the things, but also like, you know, teaching boys to learn how to interact <laughs> with girls and women in the workplace is a big, you know, part of creating environments that allow women to ultimately stay in the field.
1: You know, we know that not everybody and not everybody that comes to our program is going to be ultimately a scientist or engineer, but the tools that, you know, anybody, you know, regardless of gender, the tools that you learn by doing STEM activities are so important for basically anything that you're going to do in life, um, you know, problem solving. And we talk a lot about failure and how failure is a good thing. And I think, you know, especially as, you know, for girls and women, that's something that we need to hear. Like, I know I need to be reminded of it all the time. Obviously I would love every girl that comes to our program to, you know, be a famous scientist in the future, but, you know, just giving them that confidence and those skills is so important, um, for them to just be leaders, you know, in their classrooms and stuff too.
2: So the title is how to get girls excited about STEM. (laughs) So I know it's a very broad question, but how do we?
1: Recognizing that they're interested in learning this stuff, whether, you know, they say it or not, Um, you know, everybody, especially at this young age is a scientist or engineer, you know, kids are so good at asking questions and just exploring the world around them. And so, you know, as parents and caregivers and teachers are interacting with them, you know, making a point to say like, wow, you made that great observation about the pattern the bee is flying in outside or the shape of the leaf, you know, for really young kids if you're looking at stuff like that, you know, just having fun playing with you know, spices or flour in your kitchen is a great way to get kids into STEM cooking with them and talking about, you know, why, what does the baking soda do? Um, You know, these are all things that you can just do to, you know, point out like, well, this is science that we're doing together. Um, You know, I think, and then getting girls to, you know, hands-on activities is so important. Um, You know, if classroom teachers and parents at home you know, I know it's hard. There's been many times my kids have come to me and be like, I want to do a science experiment. I'm just like, oh, the mess or the prep. And, but, you know, if you can kind of have like that toolbox of like things, maybe, you know, a bunch of straws and cups and things like that set up at home, they, they can get so creative. And so just, you know, letting them explore and you know, try different things I think is so critical at a young age and, and show them that it doesn't have to be kind of an either or like you, you can be interested in science and in art and how they kind of go together. Um, so you know, one of the projects that we do is we make these um, we call it's called windy art, and they make a kinetic sculpture where it has to be this like artistic sculpture that will move in the wind. So they get to be, you know, creative and it has to be, you know, interesting to look at, but they also have to think about like the structural engineering side of it. Like, how am I gonna make these parts move in the wind? How am I gonna make my, um, my structure stable? Um, so, you know, kind of combining what like, I'm gonna say stereotypically girls are interested in um, with the engineering, I think can really like pique their interest. Um, so, you know, another example is we make uh, bath bombs. And, you know, a lot of, there's all those like kind of chemistry kits where they make bath bombs and they're pretty and glittery and, you know, yeah, they mix the ingredients together and they're doing science, but a lot of them don't go into the actual science behind what they're doing. So, you know, we like to bring that real world experience. Like explain to them the acid-based chemistry that's happening when they make a bath bomb, And explain to them, like, okay, you're gonna scent it with say lavender oil. Like, how does a scientist get that lavender oil out of the lavender plant and stuff? So, you know, I think just giving them the hands-on experience and then relating it to things that they're interested in um, is so important to that, you know, to pique their interest and then keep them interested. Um, another thing is having um, access to like female mentors. So, you know, women that are doing things in STEM already so that they can see, you know, what it is that these amazing things that women do, you know, um, I, I joke that like when I was in high school, You know, I was good in science and math and I liked that. And my teachers then were a lot of men and they said, well, you should either be a doctor or a science teacher. Um, And I just, you know, wasn't exposed to all the different things that STEM offers. And, you know, it wasn't until college that I, you know, somebody asked me like, well, have you thought about engineering? And no, I hadn't because no one had really kind of approached me about it. So, you know, all of the, like getting back to that volunteer you know, part that we were talking about before, um, you know, our volunteers serve both to like lead and help with the projects, but also as mentors to the girls. Um, And so we have like during our workshops, we have a mentor panel where the um, women can tell what it is that they do as scientists and engineers. um, And then the girls or their adult can ask questions. And, you know, it really is an important part for those girls to see people up there like them, um, you know, a diverse group of volunteers that are doing so many cool things. Um, And so, you know, I think that's important to get them interested in STEM too.
0: to like maybe transition the conversation a little bit to your own journey in STEM since you so beautifully have sort of opened the door to what it was like to be in school. Um, Can you talk a little bit about like your science journey? And like you said, like, you know, nobody really was like, have you thought about being an engineer? Who was the person who prompted that question to you? And what was that like?
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember it was my freshman year of college and I was taking you know all the chemistry classes thinking I was going to be a pre-med major and I just had this like realization like I don't really like this I don't want to do these classes I don't want to be a doctor Um, and I just didn't really know what else to do and I remember my advisor was like well you know you've taken all this chemistry would you think about chemical engineering and um Oak that like I don't like chemistry but I really liked chemical engineering and it was you know the application of what I was learning so like sitting there memorizing all the you know equations and all of that and all the reactions and stuff wasn't interesting to me but you know it was how to apply that and so when I switched into engineering it was just you know kind of that light bulb went off of you know what I could do with my interests um, and I was really lucky to have um, several female um, advisors and professors during both my undergrad and graduate program um, that, you know, were supportive of me and the other women in our classes. Um, they, you know, had families of their own and, you know, just really kind of showed me how you can, you know, combine everything. You know, it might not be pretty, it might not be ideal and, you know, there's definitely a struggle with it, but like how you can combine things. Um, and then, you know, I think just being a woman in STEM and, you know, I, I struggle sometimes internally with like, well, I'm promoting these girls in STEM, but like, I left the traditional STEM field and I'm doing air quotes for those of you that can't see, Um, you know, and so kind of that like imposter syndrome almost that like, am I, you know, practicing what I preach? Um, But, you know, I think I think there's a role and for women in STEM in lots of different places, and you know, yeah, sometimes I miss the traditional engineering, especially when I talk about you know what I used to do in the lab. It sounds a lot more cool than it actually was, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis, and I do miss it. But I think you know I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for you know, doing the research that I did and having the experiences that I did. Um, So, you know, I think, I think I'm right where I'm supposed to be and thankful for the failures that I had along the way that, you know, at the time seemed, you know, horrible, you know, not getting the job or not getting into the grad school I wanted. And, um, you know, now just seeing kind of how that led me to where I am now my main thesis advisor was male, but my two other supporting advisors were female and they were both um, fairly young and very successful. And, you know, I think one of them was pregnant at the time. And so just kind of seeing how they could, um, you know, handle and manage everything was really um, helpful for me. When I got, when I was actually working, um, you know, I I had mostly male bosses, but, lots of other women just to kind of you know support me um and you know i feel very fortunate that i had some great male bosses that really did support me and wanted you know me to be successful Um, and so i think you know whether ultimately you know having that champion for you whether they're male or female um, is really what matters
2: very true (laughs) um so we talked a little bit about your past and your present but what does the future look like for you
1: Oh, man, that's the million-dollar question, right? <laughs> um, you know, I think I, my goal is to reach as many girls as possible with the STEM Like a Girl program. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like or how we get to that, um, but, you know, I I really Admire some of the other STEM programs for girls that are out there, you know, Chick Tech and Girls Who Code, and just see how they have, you know, expanded to reach so many girls. And I, you know, ultimately would love STEM like a girl to do that um, for girls across the country. Um, I, I don't know, yeah, don't know how that, what that looks like, um, or, you know, how that will happen. But uh, that's part of the fun of it too, right? <laughs> um you know I I never in a million years thought I would write a book um you know I've taken one writing class in my entire uh you know college and graduate school career and that was like writing for engineers um so you know if you would ask me two years ago would you write a book I would have said absolutely not um and here I am doing that so I think um ultimately, just being open to where things will take me and the organization um, is, you know, kind of my plan.
0: (laughs) I'm wondering, um, fast forwarding to when you made the decision to, like, come out here to Portland and um, sort of switch your, like, career trajectory or whatever, like, insert whatever buzzword people use, like, can
1: you, like, bring us into what you were thinking at the time, like, I I did, I struggled with it, Um, you know, I, am the type of person that's like, well, I put in all this time and energy and money into my training, um, you know, and I didn't want to just, you know, again, air quotes, give it up. Um, And, you know, I think leaving my current job was, you know, just kind of a whirlwind, you know, my husband got a job here in Portland. um, So we were moving, we moved here when my oldest son was four weeks old which I would not advise anybody doing. Um, and we had no family in Portland. So it, I never thought I would be a stay-at-home mom. Um, you know, I know some women, that's their plan and that's great, but it was never kind of in my radar. And when we moved here, it just kind of happened because there was just so much else going on. And um, I knew that, you know, I didn't want to work full-time with a new baby and then, you know, everything else going on. Um, and, you know, I think that's the, the, the hard part about the traditional STEM fields is that it's really hard to, um, to do it part time. You know, you can't schedule your experiments for Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays or <laughs> things like that. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, that's something that, you know, needs to be a culture shift to keep women um, you know, into those traditional fields and able to support them with families at home. And I'm sure many of your guests can talk to that a lot better than I could. Um, but, you know, yeah, I do. I, I really struggled with, you know, how how much training I put in and then to, you know, to, to be home. Um, I, I did the full-time stay-at-home mom thing for a few years. But as the kids got older, I just knew, you know, that wasn't something that, I wanted to do forever, and I think, you know, like I said, the cards just kind of all aligned um, with, you know, Stem Like a Girl and this idea that I had. Um, I, so I think, you know, the biggest thing I learned from it is to just, you know, don't judge yourself with the decisions you make. Um, You know, I think I was constantly worried, like, well, what will people think of me? Like, honestly, when you approached me about this podcast, I'm like, but I'm not a women in woman in science anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm like, would they really want to hear from me? And I was like, you know, no, I had to check myself and say like, you know, I, I am, you know, I, I was a woman in science in the traditional field. I'm a woman in science, um, you know, in the field now, and it might not be, you know, what other people choose or the path that they take, but, um, you know, just being confident in the decisions that you make, um, I think, is what's going to keep you, you know, happy um, and wanting to do the work, whether, you know, however STEM or science it is. Yeah,
0: no, I think, I think I'm starting to get to the age where, like, I have some friends who are making very, like, committed like making life decisions around a partner they can see themselves being with long-term. Um, and I also have friends who are just like so entirely not in that space. And both of those things are like super okay. Um, and I think that, I mean, as maybe we get older, I think maybe the value judgments start changing. And so I'm wondering, do you ever feel like you faced either external or internal value judgments on either of those sort of paths you were on? Um, and like, what is what was that like? Or if you
1: felt like people were generally supportive regardless? I feel like people were supportive regardless and the judgment came almost entirely internally. Um, you know, I think w- women, we're just so hard on ourselves that we think we should do it all and we should be the perfect mom and the perfect partner and you know never ask for help and the perfect employee and just you know get it all done and you know nobody else is expecting that from us and you know nobody else is beating us up if we order takeout for the night or if the kids watch an extra show um, or if you know I'm talking mostly about mom stuff there because I know a lot of moms deal with that mom guilt and stuff. Um, but yeah, you know I think just As I've gotten older, I definitely feel like I am able to, you know, not judge myself as, as harshly, um, and know that I'm doing, you know, the best that I can right now kind of thing. Um, and you know, that doesn't mean that you're not working to get better or to do more or other things, but, you know, being happy and confident in the decisions that you make right then. And, Honestly, if you know if other people want to judge you, and this is definitely easier said than done, but you know if other people want to judge you, it's like, do you really care what they think? You know, like it, you know, it's that like I've always think about um, the, you know, it's from Darren Greatley with Brene Brown, but then also you know it's um, Theodore Roosevelt's, you know, the man in the arena. And if you're not in the arena doing hard things and putting yourself out there, then like, does your opinion really matter? <laughs> Um, so I think as I've gotten older, you know, regardless of you know what aspect of my life it is, that's something that I just try to think about. Um uh, the <laughs>
2: reason I'm laughing is because I've gotten to the point where I don't give a flying fadoodle about anybody or what they say. Because this has been happening at my job. And I'm like, unless you're in my shoes, I don't want to hear it. I don't care. Go take yourself wherever you need to take yourself. <laughs>
1: Um, it's it's hard it's so easier said than done I think for a lot of people um you know because we do you know we ultimately do care what other people think of us um and you know we want to show people that you know we're doing fun things or you know important things and um but you know just checking that like you said you know and that's not you know that's not the ultimate you know goal <laughs>
2: So, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your book. Is it mostly just about how you founded uh, STEM Like a Girl, or is it like activities that you can do at home?
1: No, yeah. So, um, it actually, the main parts of it, there's two main parts. Um, so, I interviewed and photographed 35 girls from all over the country that are in, you know, are eight to 12 years old, and they, um, They talk about how they do STEM in their everyday lives as, you know, young girls, and they talk about their favorite projects, how they got interested in it, um, you know, what happens when a design or experiment doesn't go their way and how they, you know, how that makes them feel. And so the, the, the main point of the book is to show young girls everywhere, um, you know, what they can do as young girls in STEM that, you, you know, there's so many books out there, which is great that talk about, you know, famous women in STEM, but to see somebody that's their age, that looks like them, um, that's interested in the same things as them is so powerful for other girls. Um, and then mixed into that are 15, um, at home activities that the girls can do, and they're fully illustrated. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's really a, a tool. It's a great way for me for to take STEM like a girl to more girls.
0: Yeah, totally. We were wondering, potentially, before we close out, if you'd like to play a
1: game. Ooh, I love games. <laughs>
2: We wanted to play a game with you called This Versus That, a game adapted from the Versus Poetry podcast. We're going to ask you to choose either the best or the worst of something, and the only object to this game is to try and answer as fast as you can. Okay, do you want to pick best or worst of something? Uh, we'll go positive, so we'll go best. Okay, so all the categories, you have to answer the best of something. Okay. Um, so the best cookie.
1: Chocolate chip undercooked chocolate chip cookies okay <laughs> that's a real controversial statement
0: I mean do you do you like the outside crunchy or no it's like the whole thing no I want really the whole crunchy. thing like mushy <laughs> yes amazing also like we love the decisiveness <laughs> that was an easy one that was a no-brainer
1: but you know <laughs>
0: um how about like the best Portland thing to do
1: Ooh. Uh, go for a run in Forest Park. <laughs> Best TV show. Friends.
0: Classic. Yeah, yeah. sorry,
1: going, going way back. <laughs> I, I am a firm believer that everything in life can be related back to something that happened on Friends. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: here, definitively, was Ross and Rachel on a break? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> all right
1: um what's the best decade oh well you know so I'm 41 so I've had four decades of life um I would say the best was my 30s um you know I think that's when I had my kids that's when I really you know that's when I founded stem like a girl that's when you know, I bought my first house. Um, there's just a lot happening and it was a lot of fun.
2: Okay. This one's a little bit weird. What's the best (laughs) YouTube rabbit hole to go down?
1: Oh, YouTube. I get sucked in on like hair tutorials, even though I don't do much with my hair, it's either in a ponytail or it looks like it does right now. But for some reason, I just find them mesmerizing. (laughs)
0: I feel like it's really there for the ASMR. <laughs> um, what about the best thing, like the best aspect or the best part about being an engineering major?
1: You just get to do cool stuff. I mean, you know, I, I sometimes I pinch myself every day that like my job is making bath bombs and building catapults to shoot marshmallows at my kids. Like, it, you know, that's, it's just so fun. There's just so much you can do that. I feel like you never get bored. Okay. Last one. Where's the best place to get work done? Um, yeah, that, that honestly, anywhere that my kids are not. <laughs> that makes so
0: sense. We love to hear
2: it.
0: <laughs> yeah. We love
1: the honesty. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so before we go, would you like to like tell people about your Instagram, your website, wherever they can reach you?
1: Yeah, so you can find us at stemlikeagirl.org online. Um, we have a tab for volunteer sign up. So if any of your listeners are interested in getting more involved with our program, um, definitely check that out. Um, our Instagram is stemlikeagirl underscore org. Uh, Facebook is stemlikeagirl. And if you're interested in the book, you can get it at um, you know any of the online retailers, or, um a lot of you know especially Portland um, a lot of the local um local shops have it too and you can always reach out directly to me my email is um, Sarah at I'd be happy to chat more perfect well thank you so much um
2: yes thank you, thank you, so you much. for
1: having me it's been a lot of fun to just kind of chat all things stem and life and women and motherhood and all the craziness that we're all dealing with right? <laughs>
0: Before we sign off, we wanted to give you three easy ways that you can support WISPDX. If you have Instagram, you can go to at women in science PDX and follow us. Make sure to like at least our most recent post so that the algorithm knows that you might want to see this content. Um, Instagram's algorithm recently went through a change where you might not even see all the photos posted by the people that you follow. So this way you can stay on top of all the new events, blog posts, and podcast episodes that we work hard to put together for the community. The second thing you can do is just subscribe to our um, podcast on the platform that you listen to it uh, Listen to it on. And third, if you feel comfortable and have the resources to donate to our nonprofit, you can head to womeninsciencepdx.org slash donate. Your money goes straight to things like our high demand scholarships for low income schools and educators and honorariums for negotiation boot camp instructors and speakers. And that's it for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Wisterhood. Make sure to subscribe so you'll know when we drop more episodes and comment so more folks can find us or just tell people about us. That's the best way to spread the word and tell us your stories or ask questions you'd like answered on the pod. You can email us at podcast at women We'd love to hear from you. And of course, special thanks to Homo Costrayani, who designed our awesome cover art. Welcome, everybody. This is Natalie, just Natalie, and we're your hosts of Wisterhood, a podcast by Women in Science Cortland. We created Wisterhood to be our community of support for women in science and their allies, and today we have some special guests. Welcome, everybody. This is Natalie, just Natalie, and we're your hosts of Wisterhood, a podcast by Women in Science Cortland. We created Wisterhood to be our community of support for women in science and their allies, and today we have some special guests. Welcome, everybody. This is Natalie, just Natalie, and we're your hosts of Wisterhood, a podcast by Women in Science Cortland. We created Wisterhood to be our community of support for women in science and their allies, and today we have some special guests. Welcome, everybody. This is Natalie, just Natalie, and we're your hosts of Wisterhood, a podcast by Women in Science Cortland. We created Wisterhood to be our community of support for women in science and their allies, and today we have some special guests. Welcome everybody, this is Natalie, just Natalie, and we're your hosts of Worcesterhood, a podcast by Women in Science Cortland. We created Worcesterhood to be our community of support for women in science and their allies, and today we have some special guests. Welcome everybody, this is Natalie, just Natalie, and we're your hosts of Worcesterhood, a podcast by Women in Science cortland We created Worcesterhood to be our community of support for women in science and their allies, and today we have some special guests. Alex Berry and Dylan Elizabeth they will be discussing the role of storytelling in STEAM education. So Dylan, um, who goes by she, her pronouns, is the impact coordinator at Inforall and design partner at CMD LLC. Dylan Elizabeth is a multidisciplinary creative who's passionate about individual and community empowerment. Dylan Elizabeth has hosted her skills through branding, marketing, graphic design, and website creation. And with these skills, she creates inclusive stories that brings people together. And Alex, who uses he, him pronouns, um, is the technical program manager and career coach um, with Intel's global supply chain. Uh, Technologist by day and a social entrepreneur by night, he incorporated CMD LLC, an organization that empowers underserved and untapped communities to tell powerful career narratives. Alex graduated from Georgia Tech with a BS in industrial engineering and dual minors in business and management. Alex loves to create solutions that bridge the public, private, and social sectors, and he can't wait to bring his STEM background, nonprofit board expertise, and team leadership to UC Berkeley's MBA program this fall.